The renewable energy space is one that continues to develop rapidly, but there may be no sector evolving quite as rapidly as the distributed generation solar space. Hi, I'm Andrew Burns, reporter for New Project Media. My guest today is Richard Dovier, the Chief Investment Officer for EDP Renewables North America Distributed Generation. Richard has been working in the DG solar space since college and was instrumental in forming solar investment and development firm C2 Energy Capital. That company's distributed solar platform, CT Omega, was acquired just last month by EDPR North America. So today we'll talk about what this new acquisition means for Richard and his career, as well as look at how the DG solar market has evolved and what's next for the space as a growing number of investors and entities are getting into the market. Uh, Richard, uh, thank you for joining me today. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you. I know that you are uh, sort of sort of uh, well versed in the DG solar space, and I kind of want to talk about uh, sort of your background and, and your history in the space, and sort of what you're working on right now. And you know, maybe we can get into some of the sort of trends on what's going on in the space. It's certainly been evolving uh, somewhat rapidly um, over the last few uh, months and last couple of years, perhaps. So, but first, uh, I want to just get into your background, if, if you would just tell me about your background in the industry and your journey to where you are today. Sure. Um, so I started working uh, in solar, uh, actually right after I graduated uh, college, though, when I was a, when I was a student, um, I, I was actually working on uh, policy proposals as part of a student organization I was uh, I was a part of uh, focused on on energy issues and, and climate issues and uh, and and I've been working on research uh, you know at, at an undergraduate level and then you know after I graduated uh, in, in a professional way uh, for, on distributed generation for uh, it's been uh, 12 years, I guess, at this point since I've graduated. So um, I've been doing this for a long time, uh, almost exclusively focused on distributed generation. It's it's where I felt that both economically and environmentally, uh, the greatest impact existed uh, in terms of these assets that uh, that, that we invest in today. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be able to keep on doing that uh, with this new chapter at EDPR. Okay, right on, right on. So it's kind of, is it was it always your... The, this place that you were the most interested in the solar industry, or is that something that um, it just kind of worked out that way that that's where you uh, always, uh, you know, spent your focus or, or tell me about that. So I, I definitely was most interested in it. Um, I think the fact that it worked out that way was partially a consequence of, of just the, the, the reality factors, uh, you know, as I was getting going, um, I, 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 have a, a non-traditional path uh, from uh, from my career. I never worked at a bank uh, or uh, you know in a consulting firm or, or anything like that. So uh, I you know I was working on smaller projects just by virtue of the fact that they were smaller and you know had less attention from the investment community and and I, I you know get, gained my chops there. Uh, so so some of it was just out of you know what was available for me to learn um, and then. Uh, but but it's great because that also did align with ultimately my interest uh, when I started um, when I started uh, it DG was was a very different ball game right I mean my the first one megawatt deal I worked on was actually one in Europe uh, and you know it was it cost one megawatt cost nine million euros to build um, 
that's it's a very very different world right. uh, these days so yeah well can you kind of talk about i i know i think there's probably a lot of listeners that understand kind of the differences but there's also people who may not understand how different it is working in dg solar versus you know kind of what the utilities do with their utility scale stuff and the kind of stuff that they're contracting so can you kind of talk about uh the difference there and and why dg solar is a little bit of a different ball game than those larger uh projects in that space sure so dg can sometimes be confused for just utility scale but smaller this is <laughs> this is not this is not the bite size snickers bar uh it is uh it, it's it's a very different beast it requires when you're investing in it from an institutional uh, desk, a portfolio driven approach, uh, whether or not that's, that has to do with the relationships uh, or uh, the procurement or uh, the, the investment analysis, you know, it is, it, it becomes a very, very different proposition. If you're building a multi-hundred megawatt facility, that facility may have its own full-time employees that are dedicated to it and its own asset management function that it's dedicated to it. And you can book those costs and, and, and monitor those costs very specifically to a project. With distributed generation, you have to think about it as if you're operating a company that has a number of assets within it. And uh, it's hard to do um, the specific modeling around you know, a, a portfolio like that when you might have a project that's 500 KW and it might have a project that's five megawatts and everything in between. So I, I think when I got started, uh, the company that I had founded uh, that, that was acquired was originally called C2 Special Situations Group. And we focused on uh, short timeline, deals that had short timelines were distressed for any number of reasons, including development issues, credit issues, uh, construction issues uh, and, and the like. Um, size uh, was definitely a big, big part of that. Uh, now we just call that distributed generation. That is just my day job, uh, which is why we changed the company name uh, at the time to uh, C2 Energy Capital because you know it, it, what 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 would be otherwise characterized as special situations in any normal investment uh, segment. Uh, in renewables, it's just the business. Uh, you are uh, things have to be custom, uh, and you have to uh, you have to adhere to the specific site and the specific client needs, which are important to serve because that's that's why it is so impactful. Is because you are very much uh, you're very intentionally serving those client needs, which is what makes it hard. And uh, but. But you know, things that are good are hard, and uh, and that's and that's what we do day to day. Yeah, and I can also imagine that it would kind of make things interesting in the in the sense that it's not sort of you're probably tackling a variety of different issues day to day. You may not even know exactly what's what you're going to be tackling um, that day or that month, because uh, just because there seems like there's so much variety within the DG Solar space versus somewhat where you're you know uh, if you were doing utility scale. You know, you'd probably just be focusing on one project at a time. Um, so I can imagine that in that way, it, it might make things uh, make make things a little interesting for you. Yeah, I mean, look, it's again, it's everything from, you know, the 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 local construction codes and 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 compliance matters uh, to you know PPA contracting permits. Uh, 
sales tax issues state over state. I mean, it, it, there are a wide range of issues that we deal with. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking about what, what went through my inbox today. Uh, mm. if we had this conversation two days from now, uh, there'd probably be a, a, a totally different set of examples I would reference, but the, it, you have to be able to do things. And I think that that's actually, you know, one, one of the things that I appreciate about my background is that coming from it, coming at it from a policy perspective, I believe that in a policy driven industry, intent matters. And so how the policies were designed, why certain things are done in a certain way. Uh, I'm really glad that I had uh, that training uh, on top of being able to understand and learn how to do the investment analysis, uh, because it really helps you uh, rationalize uh, rationalize uh, different uh, d- different rules and think about how those rules apply in other markets, which is where uh, which which you have to be able to do in DG every day. I mean, we're we're active in 16 states, and you know we can't. Uh, you know, you, 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 you don't, you can't have full extensive due diligence infrastructures for every different state. You have to understand how you build a program that is able to, uh, to easily adapt to the state rules as you, uh, as you develop them. Right. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a big lot going on. That's for sure. Um, so you mentioned that, um, uh, in terms of financing, these, these DG projects are kind of, Base, they're kind of looked at as in a portfolio standpoint so that, you know, you're going to be financing or you're going to be investing in a, a number of projects all at once uh, in a portfolio. Whenever they're being developed, is that also how they're developed where there were companies maybe working on a number of projects at one time? Or is it still they do one at a time? It just doesn't take quite as long to uh, develop each one. No, it's it's. It, if we were doing things just uh, one at a time and waiting in sequence, we we would be, uh, I, I think, from a from a pipeline in terms of chronology, we'd probably have the next ten years to get through our existing pipeline. Sure. Um, uh, but it wouldn't be that many megawatts. Uh, I think, uh, again, it, it's all of these different uh, these different elements that go into the portfolio driven approach and. Um, and how we can we could do things to to make make the execution of this more efficient. Uh, you know, Candace Spicalitz, my partner, has 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 really built a program, particularly on the construction implementation side, that has been been very impressive. All the way down to details around every engineering firm has to conform to to our design standards, and that's that's important from a true implementa- implemented technical design. Uh, but they also have to. Uh, conform to our standards and how the actual engineering drawings are laid out so that whenever we open up a a drawing for any of our projects, all of the data, no matter which engineering firm we're using, is in the same place, Uh, which, you know, things like that and the thought that goes into things like that, um, all the way through to uh, inverter choice to and how that impacts asset management and so on. Uh, these are all things that you have to to be to think about very closely as you as you develop a, a DG business. Right on, right on. Well, you know, 
and you could speak great much more to this than I can, but it seems like uh, recently, maybe it's, I don't know if it's over the last year, over the last two years. I mean, you'd be able to tell me, but it seems like the DG sector has really taken off. Uh, there seems like uh, the financing in- industry has been really interested. It seems like there's a lot of acquisitions going on right now with portfolios in the DG solar space. So I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, whether you th- would say that's true, first of all, someone who's been in it for 12 years. And then if so, you know, what is what do you think is, is causing this this newfound interest, this, uh, ex, this growing interest in the GG space? I mean, I, I think that there are a number of things uh, that that are, are, are all coming together at the same point. I, number one, I, I think the, one of the reasons why people thought uh, that DG was was a great thing to, to attack is that if you look at project individual project level returns, uh, they are higher than an individual project level for utility scale business. But again, that is it's a, a it's a very uh, limited view of of of, of how you're going to be able to scale DG because it, going back to my first point about it being a, a portfolio driven business, it's not project by project. It's it's portfolio, and and that's how you're going to be able to achieve the scale uh, and the growth. And so I think that that was definitely one of the main reasons why there was additional investor interest. I think that that has, um, that that uh, perspective has become more informed uh, as investors understand that and, and participants in the, the segment understand that it's not just, you know, a big project, only smaller. Uh, you have to build a business and an infrastructure around it. And I still think that there is the opportunity in that to, to achieve outsized returns. Uh, but it's it has to be done with scale and it has to be done uh, in a thoughtful way. Uh, so I think that, that that was definitely the 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 main driver. I don't think that anybody would voluntarily move to a smaller deal size uh, unless they were you know achieving higher returns. Um, so that that was definitely one part. The other uh, element that I think was driving this um, is uh, really developing a much more uh, a, a much closer relationship with the underlying customer. If you're doing something on a customer site, it really allows for you to have a different connection to the customer needs at that site, but also at the customer's other sites uh, across you know, their real estate portfolio uh, or, or their energy procurement generally. And uh, that's definitely been uh, something that I, I, I think has been uh, has been driving the more sophisticated players uh, because they, they understand the value of synergies that, that could exist. And, you know, we're excited about that with um, the acquisition from EDPR is how, uh, how wonderful the integration has been on a number of different fronts from, from procurement to energy analysis, to risk and markets, uh, all the way through to origination uh, and being able to work with our teammates. Uh, And so that, that I think is, is is actually driving a lot of the IPP market to look at DG very seriously. But if you're going to do it, you really have to be dedicated uh, to growing out of business and adopting a different philosophy than what many IPPs were are, are trained to be to, to, to are, are trained to look at the world, which is specifically around you know large utility scale individual assets. Sure. And have you seen? Um a shift in your client base in terms of who's interested in DG Solar or maybe just an expansion of that client base? Because it seems like 
it used to be with me, like I always associated DG solar with just with like community solar, right? Um, with municipalities and maybe schools and, and sort of uh, local uh, entities like that. But it seems like lately I'm also seeing um, interest in some of these larger companies as well. Like uh, I think it was uh, Wells Fargo or Goldman Sachs or somebody, I think it might've been Goldman Sachs the other week announced that they were uh, purchasing a portfolio of, of a DG Solar. And uh, so I was just curious about that. If, if you're seeing like an expanded uh, client base um, in the areas that you're working in. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, everybody that we talk to uh, is, is interested in looking at DG. Uh, I, I think both, it, it serves obviously e economic interests, it serves environmental interests, but I think one of the things that uh, is, is sometimes uh, disregarded about the, the DG value proposition is how visible it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to put out a press release saying, you know, we signed a, this VPPA instrument and we're buying recs and we're doing, you know, these, these synthetic instruments. DG is very tangible. It's very in your face. It's on the roof of your school. It's, you know, covering the parking in your parking lot and you can see sustainability right in front of you. And I think that that is supremely important. And, you know, I, I, as the cost curve comes down and as there are more states, uh, that become economically viable and more markets generally that become economically viable. Uh, the, it, it, it's not, uh, I, I think it's what, what we hope for is that it's, it's like having a refrigerator, right? Everybody should want to have a refrigerator and everybody should want to have solar. Why, why should you not want to have solar? Uh, and uh, why should you not want to have energy storage? It's, it's, it is an economic proposition that makes sense. Uh, and uh, an environmental proposition that makes sense and a job creation proposition that makes sense. So it, it's, it's really great for, for everything and all of the communities. And you had mentioned community solar. I mean, community solar is definitely a major growth uh, engine for us. What's great about community solar is that you have so much uh, of, of, of both Americans individually and small businesses that are not served by or cannot be served by on-site solar for any number of reasons. Community solar through its intent is, is, is meant to be the democratization of solar uh, and making it much more available. And, and, that's, and that's vitally important. And uh, we, we are uh, very much uh, a part of that and EDPR's vision around that uh, with, you know, aligned with, with ours, uh, which was one of the main reasons why we, you know, we, we did uh, the transaction with them. But it's, uh, we, we expect to see this as a, as a much greater uh, growth engine for, uh, for solar in the United States generally, working on some, some very fun and interesting deals um, and structures in order to make that happen. Right on, right on. Well, you mentioned in there that, uh, you know, a growing number of states are becoming uh, economically viable for the DG solar space. So I was curious about what uh, what drives that? What when what causes a state to become economically viable? Is it like uh, programs in these states? Is it policies in these states? Is it like a you know given a growing client base in a specific area? What is it that uh, that drives that that for you? I mean, it's it's everything, right? It, it's let's start with uh, you know solar resource um, sure. and. Uh, and then cost of labor, uh, and and then and then you get into 
incentives, right? I mean, the reality here is that, you know, with a good solar resource and a low cost to build, uh, solar can be extraordinarily competitive. Really, you only need the subsidy to the extent that with you don't have those features and uh, energy rates are, are no, no longer competitive or, or the energy rates, local energy rates are, are, you have to be competitive with local energy rates. And, and I think that what we're seeing is that even in states that, that have lower solar resource and higher labor costs, those are the ones where you see the greatest level of incentive support. Um, as, as you move farther south, you, you just, you see that less and less because they don't need it. Um, more incentives are great, uh, and they can be very important uh, for uh, for making the solar deal work. But I, I think it's important to understand also why incentives come to be. And I think this is this is part of the policy perspective. You know, utility, if, especially when looking at the the opportunity that distributed generation provides, if a utility is faced with making a hundred million dollar grid upgrade investment or providing $50 million worth of incentives for distributed generation, if you are a ratepayer in that community, you better be making sure that your utilities commission knows that the utility should not be spending $100 million when they could spend $50 million and keep your rates lower. Uh, and, and I think that that's where distributed generation can be leveraged in, um, in a very important way. And, uh, and I think it's, it, you know, there's obviously the fights about debt metering, um, and and those are uh, those continue to stabilize as it becomes increasingly clear that the the marketed uh, problems uh, with net metering actually aren't really there, and that's why net metering policies have been able to, to for the most part, survive uh, many many aggressive challenges by very very powerful constituencies. Yeah, for sure. It's it's interesting to see how uh, just for me as someone who's just been kind of tracking the market since uh, late 2019, how the the uh, talk about that has shifted um, about net metering and, and sort of that the the fight that you guys have have largely won there. So that's uh, that's excellent news. Um, what do you you know, given that you have this policy background, um, what what do you think is next for DG Solar in terms of policy? Do you view like, are you looking at anything in particular or any programs in particular in specific states? Or do you look at it more uh, holistically? Um, obviously, there's uh, some talks of things going on at the federal level now. Um, just kind of what, where, what are your, where's your head at in terms of, of all that stuff? And, and what do you think is important? I mean, I think, you know, there's obviously a substantial level of, of federal support that's being discussed. Uh, on the state level, we're, we're seeing a huge amount of interest in community solar. Uh, and, and if you think about it, you know, uh, three years ago, no one was talking about the state of Maine as a great solar mm. state. And now it, it, it's going to be one of the, the mm. highest growth states uh, in, in the solar industry. And think about what that comes with. I mean, you're, you're talking about gigawatts worth of, uh, of energy that is going to be that is going to be deployed there. Billions of dollars that's going to be invested. It's jobs. And, uh, and it's an economic development. And it becomes, it moves away from a, a red, blue, red state or blue state matter and moves to a who wants the jobs. And so, uh, and, and those, uh, and their jobs that will, that, you know, are great, you know, big 
construction uh, number of jobs at, at the beginning, but also long-term maintenance jobs uh, that, that can sustain. And, uh, and, and, and it's great. I mean, it's, it is great for communities, property taxes that can gold plate schools. Um, it, it's, it is a win for, for everybody who, who's involved, except if you own coal power plants. And I just don't, I don't, I don't feel bad for, for that, the, <laughs> the people who do. Uh, ultimately, a lot of the people who own those coal power plants have made a lot of money on them for many, many years. Uh, and, and things change. And, you know, the solar industry 25 years from now will also go through a, a very different period where there will be uh, different issues and different analysis and, uh, and decommissioning matters. And that is just, it is, it is part of the cycle of life and it's part of the cycle of, of energy. Uh, you know, we don't, you know, we moved away from, from, you know, building power plants in, uh, you know, every eight blocks in Manhattan. Uh, so, you know, now, you know, things change. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of things changing and, and you mentioned Maine, um, becoming one of the, the big uh, frontier states in terms of, of DG solar. And that's very exciting. Um, it seems like I also, uh, I can't remember if it was Mexico or, uh, one of those states down there kind of in the Sun Belt was, had just passed some sort of new, new started some sort of new program. Yeah. Yeah. started that new program. Um, so that, I guess that makes it, uh, kind of moving in the right direction as well. Are those kind of the States that you're eyeing as the next frontier for DG solar? Are there others? Um, just kind of talk about the, the, I guess the landscape in terms of the map of the U S um, and where you're thinking on, on what's next. And look for us, for us, the, the map is wide open. Um, nice. I mean, it's, it's really about, again, the client solution. And I think that that's the state policies are important, but the state policies afford us an ability to provide solutions to our customers. And that's the penultimate uh, matter of all of this. So it's, you know, when we talk to a customer that has a portfolio of facilities across the country, the, the way in which we approach it is not to cherry pick the ones that are gonna be the most profitable for us, but actually the way that, the, that we can serve the greatest and, and overall customer need uh, economically uh, and environmentally and so on. And so, uh, it, you know, we are looking at projects with customers that have facilities in California and have facilities in North Dakota. And North Dakota is not a state that anybody is particularly excited about from distributed generation, but it ultimately uh, was part of a, a, a portfolio driven approach that is what defines how we do business. Sure. Um, okay. Well, Shifting gears a little bit now, um, this is something that, you know, I think they're, it's really interesting hearing the discussions and, you know, talking to people in the, in the business, talking to, you're going to conferences and, and webinars and things like that when the COVID pandemic hit and kind of trying to, everyone was kind of trying to suss out exactly what the damage was going to be, how, how much it was going to disrupt things and what was going to be affected. Now that it's, you know, we're, we're largely over that hump, you know, people have seemed to have kind of either, uh, gotten used to it or, or have gotten back to business as normal uh, or large as much as they can following the kind of the worst of that. Um, what was the effect uh, on, on, you know, you can talk about it from your perspective. You can talk about it uh, from DG Solar as a whole was, were those kind of initial um, concerns, maybe uh, a little, little worse than what, what actually took place. Were there significant disruptions? Just kind of talk about kind of sum up that your experience going through the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think 
that COVID, I mean, COVID had a number of different impacts uh, across uh, across the, the the project cycle. Um, everything from uh, economic impacts associated with delays, uh, from you know manufacturing delays uh, and uh, project delays, to the, I, I think and, and I think that this is this is one that's not discussed as much the impact on on just the organization and I, I I've talked about this before you know just my team and uh, and how well I feel that they've done but I definitely know that that comes at a cost uh, and so I I think as it relates to the industry as a whole distributed generation was uh, either the industry as a whole relative to solar I think was able to survive quite well. Uh, I think as it relates to distributed generation, there were definitely more of, uh, uh, there, there, were, there was more work that needed to go into uh, logistics and, uh, and site safety. And, uh, and that was definitely uh, a major concern for us. But, you know, we, you know we, were, we were able to finish, I would say probably close to 80% of our construction plan, which is still, you know, losing 20% of your construction plan and, and having that delayed into the first quarter, that's a big hit. But uh, relative to a once in a century global pandemic, uh, I'm, I'm exceptionally proud of the team uh, and, and what we were able to, to do. Uh, and I think that that's, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the industry and what the industry was able to do because I think that that's pretty consistent uh, across. I, I think the industry really did very well. You know, we, we track, uh, we track, these, uh, you know, we track industry news very carefully. There were no bankruptcies, no meaningful defaults. Uh, not, we did not see, uh, we, we saw a group of people who really sought to come together and figure it out. And I know, uh, I, I'm sure that renewables was not the only industry to do that, but, but that's, that's what I know. Uh, and it was great to see. Yeah. And it's great to hear as well. You know, one of the things that, um, I hear a lot or, or heard a lot, it seems like a lot, especially toward the back half of, of 2020 and maybe a little bit in the beginning of this quarter or the last quarter now, but um, was the, uh, some, some sponsors having issues um, finding tax equity, raising tax equity. Um, now, you know, I don't know if that is, I'd imagine if anybody can, can find an ADFR probably does okay, but um, like, is that something that you saw? Was that a concern that you had or, um, were you able to, is that just kind of a given that of course there's always going to be, it's always going to be tr- hard to find a tax equity sponsor. Right. So, you know, that it was always going to be difficult to find tax equity or always easy to be easy to find tax equity. Well, I'd imagine that there's always, I, I, I can't remember who it was, but I was speaking to somebody who said, look, it's, it's never easy to find tax equity. So, um, you know, I don't know if this was just, uh, uh sort of put a little bit additional strain on that market that uh, maybe is already a little bit strained or, uh, you know, just talk about what your perspective is with the with tax equity. Yeah. I mean, I think that the strain manifested in finding tax equity that was available at a given moment in time, I think on an sure. overall basis, tax equity, you know, it, it slowed a little bit because it just, they ran out of, there was, there was a, a, a lack of runway to do transactions after everybody sort of figured out what was going to happen. But hmm. I don't, I don't blame investors. Uh, and it's something that we did in, uh, you know, as being principals of the company uh, and, and, and owners of a company, right. I don't blame, I don't blame anybody for taking a step back, 
trying to assess what the situation was and that it's, the situation was hugely unclear in March and April and May of last year. The, the fact that we are in uh, such a major economic boom and uh, for the most part, uh, many people are not leaving their homes is bizarre. It's just bizarre. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's unreasonable for anybody uh, that is mitigating you know, a tax liability, which is so much driven from, you know, a, a company performance down the line uh, on, on a number of different fronts to to take a breath and try and figure out the lay of the land. Now, obviously, that comes with with a very hard impact on on the industry for groups like ours uh, at the time uh, when, you know, you, you want to get projects funded, you want to get projects moving uh, and banks are skittish. Uh, every, everybody was skittish. We have one of the things that really made a difference for us with EDPR is, and we had been speaking with them prior to uh, the pandemic starting, is the, the, the focus didn't change. There was no, uh, okay, well, you know, COVID has started, we're pulling back from this, you know, this transaction, we have to evaluate more. Uh, there was there was always uh, a, a, an eye on the ball focus on getting the deal done, and uh, that was hugely important for us as a signal to understand that there you know what the the industry is going to go through ups and downs, and you want a partner uh, that is that is going to be consistent, and, uh, and and ultimately because EDPR has had that track record of being consistent, it is I, in my mind the reason why, as you said, EDPR actually does have an easier time raising tax equity, it's because they are a consistent, known, bankable partner. Uh, and, and that reflects not only in terms of, you know, exceptional credit risk underwriting, but also uh, in terms of how they view relationships. Yeah. Well, you know, I know that it's a, a big uh, sort of development in, in your career, um, the, the acquisition that you are now uh, a part of EDPR. Can you, you want to talk about maybe some of the things that you're looking forward to, some of the things you're excited about going forward in your position um, and sort of the things that you're looking at in the market? Uh, yeah, where's your, where's your head at uh, going into you know, the rest of 2021 and beyond? Well, right now, I think the, the most difficult part of my day is the fact that we switched email systems. So, <laughs> so getting used to a new email system uh, has, has, in my mind, been the worst part of, uh, of sure. the transaction, but, yeah. but I think I'll, I'll be able to adapt. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to bigger thinking. Uh, I, I, and and not, that's not to, to say anything about the, the entrepreneurial endeavor that I, I went through with, with Candace. It's just hard to, to think um, and, and to, to work on bigger ideas and bigger initiatives uh, at scale when you have to worry about keeping the lights on. And right. uh, we were a high growth company. Um, we were profitable uh, and not in the, uh, the we work high growth profitable way. We were actually profitable, uh, and we, uh, but but we were consistently capital constrained because the only way for us to achieve our growth was to reinvest back into the business. We, with the resources of EDPR, it allows for a much more level and sustainable approach to investing. 
uh, and to running the business and to growing the business and bringing on staff. Uh, that is, as we get through these first six weeks of the transaction, I think our team uh, that is that 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 moved over is starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel where they can really start to the ideas that people say, oh, it would be so much better if we could do this. That, well, they're going to have an opportunity to do that. And uh, when you have a small team, I, I think one of one of the statistics that I was always very proud of is I think that in terms of particularly in DG megawatts per person at, at C2 was a very, very high ratio. Uh, and, and we want to be able to keep, keep that, uh, that lean perspective, but at points, admittedly, it was way too lean. And, uh, and now we, with, with the resources and the guidance of EDPR, uh, we, we can do a lot more and how to build the business. Cause remember EDPR started, uh, and, and not that dissimilar way than the, the, the now C2 started, obviously it's different being backed by a utility, but it was a small scrappy team uh, and it is now a 20 plus billion dollar uh, operation uh, over the last 20 years. Uh, and you know what's what's not to want to emulate about that. Um, and so it's exciting for me, it's exciting for me both for myself and being able to spend some time uh, and think about how to implement bigger ideas. It's exciting for me now that I've had this, this event in my career and Candace has had this event in her career to be able to see the team that, uh, that has been growing with us, be able to, to do more. And uh, not only in terms of the resources, but just, just in terms of the headspace. Right on. Well, I know that you guys are going to continue to do great things in the DG Solar space um, as you have. And I'm looking forward to, you know, to sharing and, and discussing those things uh, as they as they come up. But, uh, you know, Richard, I just wanted to thank you once again for taking the time today. I uh, really appreciate it and getting your insight, uh, getting into the DG Solar space. I know it's there's a lot to it. And, and I think we've, we've gotten uh, a lot of insight from you uh, here today. So I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me.